You know something is wrong. You can see it all around you. You're wondering how things got to this point. Good is called evil and evil is called good. You want to truly know why we got to the brink of the abyss. Can't just be told. You must see it for yourself. I'm Scipio Eruditus, and this is Dispatches from Reality. Greetings, new listeners, my dispatchers, to the audio version of Dispatches from Reality. So a little introduction is in order here. I am Scipio Eruditus, and uh, I'm a Substack author. I write at the publication, the same name as his podcast, Dispatches from Reality. And I write about parapolitics, uh, alternative history, alternative science, and the intersection of all three with Christianity. And so, just right out the gate here, right, this is a decidedly Christian publication and podcast, and my mindset and my viewpoint will always be informed from a, you know, a biblical worldview. And so it's really impossible for me to separate my understanding of the world of reality itself, right, without that fundamental baseline of truth. And so I know, and you know, there's a lot of talk, right, in the truth, you know, the truther community, we're trying to find the truth. Well, I think the truth has already revealed himself to us. His name is Jesus Christ. And so, you know, the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 17 states, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And earlier on in the Gospel of John, that first chapter, right, verse 1, states, And the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Quite literally, Jesus Christ is the truth, the word made flesh, made manifest. And as the Gospel of John states later, in chapter 1, verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so, right at the outset here, right, like this is a truth-seeking podcast, but it is not in the sense really that most people would consider that term. I mean, the truth is a, is a living being. He is not some esoteric, mystical, or metaphorical concept, or even an, an unknowable concept. He is real and his name is Jesus Christ. And so I think it's really just important to kind of lay that framework and lay that foundation down right at the outset here, right? Um, Because it is, uh, you know, like I stated earlier, it's impossible for me to really divorce my understanding of politics, of science, of so many of these things, really. It is because of my belief in God and my faith in God and in his word that I've able to come to some of the conclusions that I have, that I've been able to really, uh, you know, put the puzzle pieces together, as it were. And so I uh, have to just give major uh, a major shout-out and major kudos uh, to Raul and Alex and Cloud at the Firmamental Podcast. Uh, they're really the ones that uh, convinced me to, you know, get off the bench here. And so, you know, with their support... I'm just super thrilled to be starting off this new endeavor and to be, you know, really waging this war 
uh, this information war, the you know, which fifth generation warfare is all about. And, you know, we are going to be, uh, we're going to be discussing a lot of topics, right? I'm, I'm a bit of a Renaissance man when it comes to, uh, you know, my interests, uh, whether it is, you know, Christianity, uh, discussions on the Bible, uh, whether it is history, science. I mean, we are, we're going to be covering a lot of topics here. And so right at the outset, though, I think one of the most fundamental and most important topics to cover is, and really the only reason I agreed to, uh, you know, to do this podcast is that I wanted to get this information out in as many ways as I could, in as many ways as I, you know, as really I felt the Lord calling me to do, um, because this is an information warfare and, you know, an information war rather, and it is so important to really to reach people with not just the truth of Jesus Christ, but also with the truth of the nanotechnological assault that we are under. It is some of the stuff we're going to talk about here. It's going to sound like science fiction. I assure you it is science reality. And this is not a future, maybe could potentially going to happen thing. This is a nanotechnology is here. It's out there. It's among us. It's already infecting a large amount of the people who are going to listen to this. I, I am one of the victims. I never took any of the jabs. I don't really try to avoid pharmaceutical drugs. I can't remember the last time I even took an aspirin. I live a generally pretty healthy life, a pretty healthy lifestyle. And there is an assault under place that is just staggering to comprehend. And, you know, not just the depths of its evil and its depravity, but in the scale. And so really what we are facing here, and, you know, not to be an alarmist, but, uh, and this is just the, the facts of the matter, is that we are facing an existential and civilizational crisis. And we will have to be the generation that does something about it. Or we will be the generation that is cursed for doing nothing about it. And our children and our grandchildren, they will be right to curse us if we sit here and we do nothing. And so I could just not, you know, I just really couldn't sit on the sidelines anymore and not make my voice more prominent and more well-known out there. And so, yes, I am, uh, I'm a big fan of the written word, still very much a literary snob, but the spoken word has just as much power, if not more. And it's, you know, through words that our Lord spoke existence into creation. And so, you know, originally that's how, you know, yeah, you didn't have a book to remember some of this stuff, right? You just had to remember the whole story. You know, the, uh, the Iliad, originally a, you know, an oral tradition passed down by Homer. And uh, this was 300,000 words that, I mean, people just remembered, right? I mean, we used to be capable of doing those kinds of things before our, uh, <laughs> Our attention pan, uh, spans, rather, were destroyed. And so I, 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 I say that only is that, you know, they both have their value. And so this will not purely be, you know, just me, you know, narrating some of my articles, although that will be, you know, a good chunk of the, the episodes and information that comes out here. But 
there are so many topics to cover. There's so many avenues and information that's constantly coming out here in regards to things that actually matter. And so what you're never going to find here and what I'm just loath to do is kind of stay up to date on the happenings of what's going on here, right? And I mean, this is a post-political publication, uh, which means that uh, we are beyond politics. Politics is a, it's really, it's a circus. It is an orchestrated show for, you know, people who consider themselves erudite, who consider themselves wise. And I used to, you know, I used to think that I was wise because I knew, oh, this politician and that and the intricacies of constitutional law and all this, you know, stuff that, you know, when you really dig into the the heart of the matter here, this stuff hasn't last, you know, it hasn't mattered for a long time, for a long time. And so the show is there to distract you. The show is there to divert your attention away, for you to pour your energies into a system that cannot by its very nature succeed. And so we are focused on the topics here, right, that matter. I am focused on the topics here that matter. And uh, hopefully you are as well. And so we're not going to be getting bogged down and, you know, this politician said that or, you know, the hottest meme of the day. I mean, frankly, given my, you know, ever contrarian nature, uh, the more that people are talking about a story, really, the less important I feel that it is, right? I mean, and largely for the simple fact of the matter is that well, you can go to a million other places to find out this kind of crap, right? Everyone's got their opinion on, you know, what uh, whatever Joe Biden, whatever stupid thing he said today, or vice versa, you know, Trump, if you're on the other side. And I mean, that's one of the other things, too, about this whole political system is that, you know, and I've explored this, ton- you know, this concept uh, quite a bit in my writing, is that really this is just, this is one system. It's two wings, same bird. And so these people are all serving the same master. There is no distinction. They, you know, they have their play fights in front of the C-SPAN cameras, but then they all go to the same bars and they're all hanging out with each other and they're going to the same country clubs and they're going to the same Masonic lodges. It, uh, there is not near as much disagreement in Washington, D.C. as you think there is. And really, this is largely been the case since the beginning of America as a country. And so uh, there is a quite a bit of work I already have in the tank. So I've been writing for uh, not quite a year yet. I have a weekly article that I publish on Tuesdays at uh, Dispatches from Reality on Substack. And so the address for that is dfreality.com dot substack.com or delta foxtrot reality dot substack.com and so the information we're discussing here is just way too important to hide it behind paywalls i do not believe in that um and you know digitally speaking this information once it's on the net right it's there's no there's no opportunity cost to it you know and so the physical things are, are, are different matter, but when it comes to digital information, right, there's just really no excuse for us to be hiding these kinds of things behind paywalls. And it's that segregation and the, you know, really the, really the, the hiding of information is just so damaging to humanity and, uh, 
you know, one of the big principles that I believe in is the free flow of information. And so all of the articles on dfreality.substack.com, uh, they're all free. Um, you can access any of them. I have a pretty large catalog at this point, right? I encourage you to go look through some of that stuff, read some of that stuff. Um, some of these, you know, probably the first couple of episodes here, we're just going to be touching on some of the concepts that I've already written about pretty extensively because they are extremely important to what is going on here. And the, you know, for all this talk, right, in the news of World War Three, dude, World War Three already happened. It, ha- it started in 2020 and it's still ongoing and never stopped. The governments of the world colluded together to form and to push poison on people. And so it's just, you know, you want to talk about World War III. It's, yeah, it's the governments of the world against the people. You know, as the Bible says, it's nothing new. This is as old as humanity. Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. There truly is nothing new under the sun, and what we are seeing you know, in many ways is this is, you know, this is another one of the maxims you're going to hear a lot on this show. There are no political solutions to spiritual problems. And that is honestly one of the biggest culprits of why we are at where we're at. is because we thought we could divorce God from our civilization, from our family, from our government, and that somehow we would still be blessed. That somehow this would not all end up in a fiery, just cataclysm. I mean, do you need, I mean, do you need to look around and just to see where that has wrought, what that has wrought? And so this is something that we all must address on our own personal level. We are all guilty of this, and I, I include myself in that. You know, I lived for far too long in a manner that was very displeasing to God. And the reason that our civilization and that our country is here is because a lot of people did that. And we thought that we didn't need his guidance and we, that we could break the immutable laws of the universe and that there wouldn't be consequences. We're paying the consequences. And, you know, the, the enemy that we face, the threat that we face here, not just from nanotechnology, but, you know, this uh, coalescing new world order, it can only be defeated with God. The enemy is in such a ascendant position, they are getting sloppy. Uh, but they can afford to be sloppy. They can afford to just rub outright murderous attacks upon civilians, and they don't really even need to give you a good answer for it. They can burn down a town in Hawaii, and there can be thousands of missing children, and we just move on with our lives. You know, something we just need to, uh, we just need to realize is that we are part of the problem. But that also means we are the solution. And so once we start caring about our children and the future of our children, 
more than we do about uh, how our fantasy football team is performing or who's playing on this date or what movie comes out or the latest video game or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I mean, modern society has its, its fair share of distractions that we can kind of anesthetize ourselves to the utter chaos and insanity that our civilization has, you know, become. And so just uh, at the gate here from the outset, it is important to really go through the history of the transhumanism movement, of some of the entities and organizations that have been pushing it, and then also just the very real technical capabilities. These things are are sadly, right, this is not fiction. This is reality. So without further ado, I have the narrated version here for you of my September 26th article from the Forced Evolution of Humanity series, The Borg Initiative. In the rapidly evolving landscape of technological terrorism, two inseparable and interrelated concepts have emerged, neurowarfare and transhumanism. These concepts stand at the forefront of the cognitive battle space, raising profound questions about the boundaries of human potential, the ethical problems of technological augmentation, and the ever-expanding horizon of warfare in the digital age. Transhumanism is the gateway to an even more complete form of psychological warfare, one where your very neurons and motor functions are capable of being hijacked, where the human mind is a literal battlefield. Neurowarfare, a term that has risen to prominence in recent years, represents a seismic shift in the way we conceive of conflict and military strategy. It is an, an entirely new paradigm in how we wage war, and what war even looks like. Quote, Future wars are unlikely to be won by traditional weapon systems that dominated 20th century warfare, namely tanks, bombers, and aircraft carriers. The entire mode of conducting hostility is shifting from the physical realm to the informational and psychological realm, marking also a shift from hard power in geopolitics, the control of territory, to soft power in biopolitics, the control of life itself. It is argued that the objective of warfare is no longer destroying enemy forces and seizing territory, but shaping perceptions and beliefs, and this way gaining political and social control over populations, including the use of populations as new weapons of mass destruction. In these new types of conflicts that are already beginning to unfold, traditional military strength is meaningless, since attacks on the enemy's mind skips the battlefield, or rather, makes the enemy's society the main battlefield, by turning the, the own citizens against their government, or by turning the government against their people. Neuroweapons and neurowarfare may even make in some more distant future physical violence unnecessary altogether. Armin Krishnan, from Military Neuroscience and the Coming Age of Neurowarfare, end quote. At its most fundamental level, neurowarfare involves the utilization of neuroscience and advanced neurotechnologies for societal dominance. This encompasses a broad spectrum of applications, from enhancing the cognitive abilities of soldiers to manipulating the thoughts and emotions of adversaries. The ability to remotely influence an individual's thoughts 
emotions, or behavior via technological means challenges the very idea of free will and agency. The arsenal of neurowarfare includes cutting-edge tools like nanotechnology and brain-computer interfaces, or BCIs, which enable direct or wireless communication between the human brain and external devices. Quote, Outside of the government, scientists at places like Berkeley's Brain Machine Interface Systems Laboratory are experimenting with how to use such implants to translate thoughts into action for people with neurological impairments, eventually hoping to, for example, help a paralyzed person move. BCIs have the potential to revolutionize military operations by enhancing soldiers' decision-making speed, accuracy, and situational awareness, eventually through the direct interfacing of humans with semi-autonomous weapon platforms. From DARPA's Testing and Planting Chips in Soldiers' Brains by Mint Press News, September 29, 2015. End quote. Contrary to what the layman might imagine, communication between a human being and the external world through BCI interfaces is no longer science fiction, but nowadays, reality. Furthermore, neural warfare raises obvious concerns about surreptitious coercion and direct mental manipulation of unwitting victims. This technology has introduced a new dimension to warfare, one where psychological and neurological tactics may be used alongside traditional weaponry to win wars without firing a single shot in anger. Transhumanism, on the other hand, represents a truly nightmarish vision of the future of humanity, one where the end result can scarcely be called human at all. Transhumanism advocates such as Ray Kurzweil, Yuval Noah Harari, Elon Musk, Dr. Charles Morgan, or Dr. James Giordano, believe that through the use of advanced technologies, we will be capable of augmenting human capabilities, transcending the limitations of our biological nature, and eventually conquering death itself. Putting these profoundly blasphemous notions aside, this subject encompasses a wide array of possibilities, from genetic enhancements and longevity therapies, brain-computer interfaces, to the merger of human biology with synthetic life forms. Transhumanists envision a future where individuals will enhance their cognitive abilities and definitely extend their lifespans or even explore the integration of machine and human consciousness. The salient issue with every one of these technologies is their inherent dual-use nature, i.e., the tech can be used for military purposes as well as civilian. The usage of such technology in an offensive manner has already begun, and transhumanism proponents who pretend that it will not be used in such a fashion are either grossly misinformed or intentionally deceitful. If they can restore your sight, they can destroy your sight. To fully contextualize the breadth of the nanotechnological assault we are currently under, it is vitally necessary to explore the forces at the vanguard of this violation of bodily autonomy. In the labyrinth world of advanced research, information warfare, and nanotechnological innovation, institutions like DARPA, NQTEL, IARPA, and BARDA converge to form an imposing alliance. Their collective efforts have coalesced into a monumental initiative that seeks to map the human mind, known as the Brain Initiative. And this unprecedented collaboration IQT, DARPA, IARPA, and BARDA all converge on a shared mission to decode the brain's intricacies, harness its potential, 
and eventually master it. As the brain initiative continues to unfold, it promises to not only transform our understanding of the brain, but also reshape the future of human cognition itself. It is these profoundly malignant organizations that stand at the forefront of the regime's assault upon our very consciousness. The Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, or DARPA, has, over its nearly six-decade history, garnered both acclaim and criticism for its pivotal role in shaping our current technological hellscape. Established in 1958 as a response to the Soviet Union's successful launch of Sputnik, DARPA's mission was clear. To ensure the United States maintained its technological superiority in defense and security. While DARPA has undoubtedly achieved significant tech breakthroughs, its legacy is a mixed one, marked by achievements and controversies alike. DARPA's early years were characterized by a feverish pursuit of technological innovation, often driven by the alleged urgency of the Cold War. Yet another engineered conflict, which I've discussed in the Frankenstein Formula Part 1. Its pioneering work on ARPANET, a precursor to the Internet, truly laid the foundation for the digital age. This achievement, however, must be looked at with a critical eye. It is undeniable that DARPA's involvement in the creation of the Internet led to the centralization of power in the hands of the tech oligarchs, raising concerns about surveillance and privacy that persist to this day. Throughout the decades, DARPA has consistently pushed the boundaries of what the public considered was technologically possible. Projects like the development of stealth aircraft, GPS, and the early work on artificial intelligence showcased the agency's capacity for groundbreaking innovation. In more recent years, they have been at the forefront of COVID-19 research, quote-unquote, advances in neurotechnology and brain-machine interfaces. However, this success has been marred by allegations of ethical transgressions and the inherently offensive nature of its discoveries. DARPA's pursuit of military advantage has also led to monstrous experiments, such as the infamous Project MKUltra, which involved mind control experiments on unwitting and unwilling human subjects. I refer you to Black Ops and Black Magic, Part 1 and 2, for a thorough review of MKUltra and its many subprojects. InQtel, or IQT, stands as a uniquely manipulative entity one operating at the intersection of technology and intelligence. Established in 1999 as a <clears throat> non-profit venture capital firm, it operates with a unique mission, to identify, invest in, and accelerate the development of cutting-edge, dual-use technologies. It has pioneered many technologies we now take for granted, from touchscreens to, go- to Google Earth. One of InQtel's most well-known investments is Palantir Technologies, a data analytics and software company founded in 2003 with seed funding from IQT. Quote, Palantir began at PayPal as an anti-fraud algorithm that detected unusual account activity. However, following September 11th, PayPal co-founder Peter Thiel theorized it could be used to look for terrorists. He, along with his longtime associate, Alex Karp, decided to name their offshoot company which was based around the algorithm, after the all-seeing crystal from The Lord of the Rings. It was launched in 2004, two years after PayPal was acquired by eBay's Pierre Omidyar. Upon launching, Palantir was largely funded by Thiel himself, as well as by InQtel, 
the investment arm of the CIA, an agency also connected to Pierre Omidyar. Since its founding, Thiel's had a long hand in how Palantir's run and currently serves as its chairman. As of 2015, PayPal employees still composed 80% of Palantir's management team. From Palantir, the PayPal offshoot becomes a weapon in the war against whistleblowers and WikiLeaks by Whitney Webb. End quote. Palantir's platform is renowned for its ability to process and analyze vast amounts of data, making it an invaluable tool for government agencies and organizations dealing with complex data sets. Its applications range from counterterrorism efforts to healthcare analytics, demonstrating its versatility in addressing a wide array of data challenges. Another prominent product stemming from IQT's investment was Keyhole, which eventually evolved into Google Earth. Keyhole's 3D mapping technology revolutionized the way we visualize and interact with geographical data, a technology that is quite obviously useful to a supranational surveillance apparatus. Google's acquisition of Keyhole in 2004 led to the development of Google Earth, which provides users with a detailed interactive view of our planet. This is just one in a long line of such joint ventures between Google and War Inc. Quote, Facebook and Google have emerged as two of the leading access portals between users and the outside world, and far from the image of impartiality they project, this prominence had made them central figures in governing which information from that world we are able to access. The ties between these firms and the U.S. defense and intelligence spheres are myriad, not only harnessing for their own ends the high-tech R&D these firms develop for their own platforms, but also ensuring the manufacturing of consent over issues both at home and abroad that are favorable to the imperialist oligarchy and their security state. From Social Media and Social Control, How Silicon Valley Serves the U.S. State Department by Morgan Artuyukina. End quote. Tech companies like Google, Apple, Twitter, and Facebook have always operated closely with the American espionage oligarchy. It is only due to outrageous legal protections that these companies are allowed to maintain their stranglehold upon our public discourse. Given Silicon Valley and Babylon D.C.'s reliance upon one another, their long-standing financial ties, as well as the likely military origins of firms such as Facebook and Google, these companies should not be considered private entities as they are de facto arbiters of state power. The Intelligence Advanced Research Project's activity, often regarded as the shadowy sibling of DARPA, has a history fraught with intrigue and skepticism. Founded in 2006, IARPA was designed to be the intelligent community's answer to DARPA, tasked with developing cutting-edge technologies to bolster national security. However, its operations, though cloaked in secrecy, have been a subject of rigorous debate. IARPA's creation is shrouded in the post-9-11 atmosphere of heightened security concerns, with the agency's mission focusing on the development of intelligence-related technologies. While IARPA's research has produced notable successes in areas like quantum computing, predictive analysis, and neuroscience, the agency has also faced valid criticism. One key issue is the inherent tension between national security and individual privacy. The development of surveillance technologies under IARPA's purview has fueled concerns about mass data collection, surveillance overreach, and the abuses of power by intelligence agencies 
one such power as in their hands. Another notable project that has garnered harsh criticism is IARPA's foray into the realm of predictive analytics and machine learning. The agency's efforts to develop advanced algorithms and models for intelligence analysis have enhanced the regime's hegemony by identifying threats more effectively. When they talk about threats to their Malokian system, they mean, of course, Christians and men. The deployment of such technologies raises grave concerns about algorithmic biases, civil liberties violations, and the risk of automating critical decision-making processes without proper human oversight. IARPA's investments in the development of artificial intelligence and autonomous systems have also come under intense scrutiny. The agency's pursuit of AI-driven solutions for complex intelligence challenges, such as autonomous drone surveillance, has raised ethical questions about the use of AI in warfare and espionage. The reliance on AI in these contexts will surely lead to unintended consequences, as well as a lack of accountability for the outcomes of AI-driven operations. And they already wash their hands of these deaths now, so one can only imagine the dearth of accountability once an additional layer of scapegoating is added to the kill chain process. The Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority is a federal agency within the United States Department of Health and Human Services that was established in 2006. BARDA's primary mission is to prepare for and respond to public health emergencies, particularly those related to bioterrorism, infectious diseases, and pandemics. While BARDA has made contributions to preparedness and response efforts, a critical perspective reveals several areas of concern in its history. BARDA's inception was prompted by growing concerns about the potential use of bioweapons and the need for coordinated response to emerging infectious diseases. This, of course, sidesteps the inconvenient fact the U.S. government has been responsible for creating and funding a good deal of those weapons themselves. BARDA's focus on bioterrorism preparedness and response has sometimes overshadowed other pressing public health issues, like chronic diseases. It would not be the first time our tax dollars went towards more effectively learning how to butcher our brother. Another prominent issue is BARDA's tendency to prioritize contracts with large pharmaceutical and biotechnology companies over smaller, innovative startups. Transparency and accountability have always been points of contention in BARDA's history, like all black box research agencies. BARDA operates with a significant degree of secrecy, which they naturally claim is necessary for national security reasons, quote-unquote. The relationship between BARDA and the pharmaceutical industry raises serious questions about conflicts of interest and the large impact that federal largesse has on medical research as a whole. Quote, I believe in transhumanism. Once there are enough people who can truly say that, the human species will be on the threshold of a new kind of existence, as different from ours as ours is from that of Peking man. It will at last be consciously fulfilling its real destiny. Julian Huxley, Transhumanism. End quote. The Brain Initiative, formerly known as the Brain Research through Advancing Innovative Neurotechnologies Initiative, was launched in April 2013 as a pioneering effort to unravel the mysteries of the human mind. 
This program was the successor to wildly successful nanotechnology endeavors, such as the Cognitive Technology Threat Warning System, a threat detection system utilizing a camera that interacts with operators' brainwaves to scan wide areas at extended distances. The C22WS boasts a 91% success rate in threat detection, compared to 53% for traditional camera systems. Not so coincidentally, the first successful tests of brain-computer interfaces and sheep took place that same year. There's definitely a joke there somewhere. The joint endeavor aimed to accelerate the development and application of cutting-edge neurotechnologies, such as BCIs, promising transformative insights into brain function and potential treatments for neurological disorders. However, a critical look at the brain initiative reveals a mixed legacy marked by significant scientific achievements, but also legitimate concerns about priorities, transparency, and the ethical quandary of human augmentation. Of particular importance to our continued exploration of these heady topics is the biometric and biological scale computers that were pioneered through the Brain Initiative. These devices have been under intense scrutiny by these mad scientists, as they not only provide the means to control the body, but represent a paradigm shift in computing power as a whole. Quote, The vision for the systems of neuromorphic adaptive plastic scalable electronics, or synapse, is to develop low-power electronic neuromorphic computers that scale to biological levels. Current computers are limited by the amount of power required to process large volumes of data. In contrast, biological neurosystems, such as the brain, process large volumes of information in complex ways while consuming very little power. Power savings are achieved in neural systems by the sparse utilizations of hardware resources in time and space. Since many real-world problems are power-limited and must process large volumes of data, neuromorphic computers have significant promise. The initial phase of Synapse developed nanometer-scale electronic synaptic components capable of varying connection strength between two neurons in a manner analogous to that seen in biological systems and stimulated the utility of these synaptic components and core microcircuits that supported the overall system architecture. From DARPA, end quote. To solve the logistical problem of surveilling an entire planet, the leap to biological scale computing is a necessity. The Brain Initiative's inception was heralded as a bold and ambitious endeavor, drawing on the excitement surrounding recent advances in neuroscience and technology. It is one of many such worldwide programs that were launched within the last decade, such as the EU's Human Brain Project, Japan's Brain Slash Minds Project, and the China Brain Project. Substantial funding has been spent over the last decade to support research aimed at mapping and understanding the brain's intricacies. A central focus of the U.S.'s brain initiative has been the development of innovative neurotechnologies, including advanced imaging techniques and BCIs. These technologies have enabled researchers to make significant strides in mapping neural circuits and deciphering brain activity patterns. Quote, The procedure for implanting the stentrode, a stent-like device containing an array of electrodes, builds on established surgical techniques that use blood vessels as portals for accessing different areas of the body, 
Unlike traditional approaches to putting recording devices in the brain, it doesn't require opening the skull and bypasses the risks associated with such an invasive procedure. Instead, the device, the size of a paperclip, is delivered via a catheter inserted into a blood vessel in the neck. In a proof-of-concept demonstration in Sheep, the researchers gathered high-fidelity measurements from the region of the brain that controls voluntary movement. They were able to record from freely moving sheep for up to 190 days. Clearly, it's a cool idea, but it's too early to tell if it's better than other less invasive approaches to delivering electrode arrays to the brain or whether it'll work in people. The researchers are planning to begin a human clinical trial next year at a hospital in Melbourne. From DARPA's new neural implant has a sneaky way of getting inside heads. By Mint Press News. February 15th, 2016. End quote. The potential for misuse, such as invasive brain surveillance or unauthorized mind reading, remains a real and, purposely, unaddressed issue. The cutting-edge military think tanks, research outfits, and shadowy federal agencies discussed above are just a small sampling of those that played a part in the rollout and continued deployment of neurowarfare. Like MKUltra and so many other atrocities have made clear, our institutions are more than willing accomplices in these gross assaults against their people. No stranger to government collusion, Harvard joined IARPA in 2016 in their quest to create a neural map of the brain. Harvard is just one of an extensive list of institutions and NGOs that have willingly engaged in the mental and spiritual subjugation of humanity, including, but not limited to, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, Stanford University, University of California, Berkeley, California Institute of Technology, Johns Hopkins University, Princeton University, Columbia University, University of Pennsylvania, University of California, Los Angeles, University of Chicago, Yale University, University of Washington, University of Ca- California, San Francisco, Duke University, Baylor College of Medicine, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, University of Michigan, Georgia Institute of Technology, Boston University, the Rockefeller Foundation, Allen Institute for Brain Science, Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, the Kavli Foundation, Simons Foundation, Paul G. Allen Frontiers Group, and the Mind and Life Institute. Our universities and think tanks are perennial fellow travelers with the federal leviathan and their shared goal to create a more perfect slave state, and an even more encompassing state than the one they have already constructed. Quote, I was born human, but this was an accident of fate, a condition merely of time and place. I believe it's something we have the power to change. Kevin Warwick, Cyberneticist. End quote. Neural warfare heralds a paradigm shift so monumental that it challenges the very concept of warfare itself. As the specter of traditional military might wanes in the face of psychological and neurological tactics, we stand witness to a transformation where battles are no longer fought on distant battlefields, but within the inner sanctum of your very mind. The objective of warfare is now fundamentally shifted from the conquest of territory 
to the manipulation of perceptions and beliefs. The very notion of free will teeters on the precipice as external forces manipulate thoughts, emotions, and behaviors with technological precision. Chris Darby, CEO of InQtel, has stated that data is the new oil. Much like traditional oil, it too has been weaponized against us. See the fossil fuel farce for more information. A mental surveillance of the population already occurs in rudimentary forms as we speak, which IARPA will happily disclose to you in their open source presentations. The regime can predict to a shockingly high degree of certitude the national pulse and current mood of a population. Despite the imposing panopticon that has already been assembled in the post-9-11 world, neurotechnology now stands as a peerless tool of psychological warfare and societal subjugation. In this arena, the population itself becomes both a weapon and a casualty. We find ourselves now staring face-to-face with the death of free will. The allure of augmented capabilities and the blasphemous notion of conquering mortality beckon the purveyors of Babel 2.0. Yet behind this siren's call lies a nightmarish future. With every stride towards the augmentation of humanity, there is necessarily a dual-use potential, where the tools of transcendence can morph into instruments of domination. The ethical quagmire that arises from the dual-use nature of neurotechnology cannot be overstated, and the shadow of misuse looms ominously on the ongoing merger of humanity with synthetic entities. In the grand tapestry of this unfolding narrative, the emergence of secretive organizations and government agencies assumes a central role. The likes of DARPA and QTEL, IARPA and BARDA converge in a malefic alliance, fueled by relentless pursuit of technological advancement at any cost. Their efforts, often shrouded in secrecy, intertwine with the ambitious brain initiative, seeking to decode the brain's intricacies, unlock its potential, and in the process, redefining the very nature of human cognition. Graphene biosensors capable of wireless communication are already in use. Biological-scale computers are no longer a fiction, but a reality. Injectable brain-computer interfaces have existed since 2016. The human mind has been rudimentarily mapped. As we stand at this juncture, our gaze must not waver from the implications that now unfurl before us. We grapple with a future where the boundaries of human potential blur, where the machinations of secrecy and power intertwine with the loftiest of scientific endeavors. It is a landscape where the very essence of human existence stands to be redefined. Before us lies a choice. We can cast off the shackles of this cancerous cartel, thereby escaping their mental prison camps, or we can continue to self-pleasure ourselves while our world descends into a dystopian abyss. The great reset of humanity, a goal centuries in the making, has already begun. Choose you this day whom ye will serve. Quote, All warfare is based on deception. Hence, when we are able to attack, 
we must seem unable. When using our forces, we must appear inactive. When we are near, we must make the enemy believe we are far away. When far away, we must make him believe we are near. Sun Tzu, The Art of War. End quote.